0: Hey, we're in Genesis chapter 30, verses 14 to 21. I entitled it uh, Superstition Ain't the Way, and that's some lyrics from a song from a long time ago. <clears throat> You'll hear those lyrics at the end this morning, but there's all kinds of wife tales and folk wisdom concerning what a couple needs to do or eat while they're trying to conceive a child in order to guarantee that it will be a boy or a girl. Babycenter.com lists some of the folk wisdom about this. If you want a boy, here's a couple of things you should do. Eat more meat. The redder, the better. Stick with salty snacks such as pretzels and chips. And dads-to-be stock up on soda, especially cola brands or drinks. If you want a girl, both partners should eat lots of fish and veggies and you should give in to your chocolate cravings or just sweets in general. You know that girls are made of sugar and spice and everything nice, right? And That's why that works there for chocolate and all the sweets in general. Women should sleep to the left of their husbands, and you should mark your calendar because more boys are conceived on odd days of the month and more girls are conceived on even days of the month. I don't know if that's true or not. Hey, check the hairline of the last child that you had. That's important, too. If the hairline at the base of the neck uh, of your last child is a ducktail, your next baby will be a girl. If it's, a, if it's straight across, it'll be a boy. Aren't these incredible? There's a whole bunch more wives' tales and folk wisdom concerning or surrounding how to help determine the sex of your next baby, and uh, you're probably aware of some of those as well. But <clears throat> You all know that we have three boys, right? No girls. Um, I wish I could remember if we ate more red meat, but I can't. That's, you know, our youngest is 20. That's a long time ago. I don't remember what we were eating during that time. I've always loved uh, pretzels, salty snacks. Oh, I know I ate a lot of pretzels uh, probably during that time. I don't know. That's why we have three boys. Um, I don't drink a, a lot of soda, and even if I do drink soda, it's normally not to kite type because it has caffeine in it, and I've tried to avoid caffeine since I was an 18-year-old and had chest pains and that was diagnosed with mitral valve prolapse. So like, don't drink a lot of those. Um, I do not remember if our boys were conceived on an odd day of the month. How do we even know when they're conceived, right? I mean, the actual time the conception takes place, I should say. I don't remember what our two oldest boys' hairlines look like, but our youngest has a ducktail. So we stopped too soon, didn't we? Perhaps, <laughs> we, if we would've just tried for one more, we would've had that girl. But um, anyhow, I don't really subscribe to the wives' tales or folk wisdom about genders of a baby. In fact, with our first two children, we didn't even find out what their sex was before they were born. I liked the surprise factor. I think that's cool. I like not knowing until they come. And uh, we did find out with our third uh, just because, well, yeah, anyhow, we just wanted to know. Was it going to be a girl? We trusted the Lord to provide the children that were best for us. He knew that my brother and our only other male cousin with with the last name Johns would only have daughters. So there's uh, no pressure, but our three boys are the last Johns in our line. So uh, our three grandchildren, we have one grandson who will carry on the family name and two granddaughters. And we're hopeful for more grandchildren in the future, whether boys or girls. And boys, if you ever listen to this message, that's a hint. It's a hint. We want some more grandchildren. So <laughs> We have one son that's yet to be married, and hopefully he'll have a whole bunch after he's married. So, Hey, just some rhetorical questions for you this morning, just to get you thinking as we di- get ready to dive into this passage of Scripture. How many of us have heard of some of these wives' tales or folk wisdom. So that's just something to think about. How many of us have tried one or more of them uh, when we were conceiving children? Maybe you tried some other ones that you had heard that I didn't mention this morning. And then just to think about how did it work out? <laughs> like, well, I tried that because we wanted a boy, or tried that when we wanted a girl, and well, we got the opposite. How many of us have waited uh, until our children were born to find out whether they were a boy or a girl? And then how many of us are grateful that God knew how many children we could handle and what gender? They were. Isn't that great? To just know that God's in control. <clears throat> he knows what's best for us. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. Rachel and Leah continue to comp- compete with each other, and they're now turning to love apples I'll explain that in just a little bit to help with their infertility issues. They've tried human schemes by giving their maidservants to Jacob as additional wives, and, and now they're trying superstition and legend concerning the properties of the fruit and root of a certain plant. What we'll see in this message in the next one is that God is in control of the timing of when couples have children. We can try all kinds of things from human schemes to bargaining and manipulation to wives' tales and much more. But what our big idea reminds us of today is this. Faith in God supersedes everything. Our faith in God supersedes anything else that we're going to try to deal with, with issues in our lives. And so as we just... Uh, Let that sink into our hearts and minds today. Would you just bow your heads with me as we commit this message to the Lord in prayer? Lord, we come to you today as hungry people for your word, for hungering uh, for your righteousness and for your truth, Lord God. I pray today that we would just hear that from your voice and not mine. I just pray, Lord God, that you would use someone who is weak and (coughs) fallible, who's cracked and chipped as a vessel, Lord God. I pray that only your words would come out of my mouth and that you would not allow anything that's not true to, to remain uh, in my mouth and not come out, Lord. God, I pray that uh, you would work through your Holy Spirit in the hearts and minds of your people today, that they would be encouraged and strengthened, Lord, as we talk about faith in you and how it, you are in control of everything and that how faith in you supersedes anything else that we could ever try or think about. And so, Lord, we just lift this message up to you today, and we ask this in your precious Son's name. Amen the very first part of uh, verse 14, we see a timestamp here. And so if you look at that verse with me, this is what we see, um, and this is what it says. It's just a couple of words. during wheat harvest. So that gives us a timestamp. It would have been around March or April in the spring. And uh, this is just letting us know when this whole narrative is taking place, what's happening. Laban was not only a shepherd, but it appears as though he was also a farmer. He was diversified in what he did for a living. I mean, it would make sense um, that he needed uh, some of those things as well just to live. And so they needed wheat in order to make bread and different things like that. And so we see that it's during this time that this is all taking place. Now, this morning we're going to see a bunch of like four or five B words are, are the kind of the theme here. And so the first one is bagged. And so this is the uh, second and third parts of verse 14. Let's look at those together and see what God's Word tells us today. Reuben, so during the wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. And so we see that, uh, if you recall, Reuben is Jacob's oldest son, born to him by Leah, He's probably between seven to nine years old at this point. We're not told if he's working in the fields with the other farmers. But um, perhaps he's just hanging out with the farmers and looking around for something to do. He's, you know, he, they're probably like, oh, man, this is the, this is the owners or you know, Jacob's son. You know, Got to let him hang out with us. He obviously knew what a mandrake was. And my guess is that he knew something of the plant's importance and value, which is why he brings it back to his mother, Leah. I mean, it's not... He's not picking flowers for his mom. This would have been the fruit and the root that he would have brought back. So it's not like he has this bouquet of flowers like, like kids do. No, this is like he, he knows something of the value and importance of this plant. That's why he's bringing it back. Otherwise, I don't know why he would be picking it and, and bringing it to his mother. And so it's likely that Reuben brought the entire plant or plants back with him because the fruit and the root were both used uh, by... Um, by this culture, with with some superstition tied into it. And so Matthew says this, The plant exhibits long, dark green leaves in a rosette pattern. From the center of the leaves are flower stalks that each produce a purple, bluish, or greenish-white flower. During the spring, the plant produces a yellow-red fruit likened to a plum in size and shape. Especially interesting are its dark roots that resemble the lower torso of a human form, which probably contributed to the mystery surrounding his magical and sensual powers. And so the mandrake was believed to have an aphrodisiac that uh, well could be believed to be an aphrodisiac that caused sexual desire and encouraged conception. And so depending on the culture, the fruit from the mandrake was given a different nickname. The Greeks called them a love apples, and the Arabs called them devil's apples. Now, I don't know what, why there was a difference in, in uh, that. One sounds positive, one doesn't sound so positive, <laughs> Um, maybe uh, the Arabs didn't find uh, any, any value in, in that plant. And then um, Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love, beauty, and sex, was called Lady of the Mandrake. And so that kind of just ties uh, everything together, and we learn that from uh, several different scholars today. There was definitely legend and superstition surrounding this plant and its fruit. It was believed that it promoted fertility, and both Leah and Rachel were currently dealing with infertility. They both realized that having their maidservants act as surrogates was not fulfilling and didn't bring them true happiness. So we see that Rachel then requests some of these mandrakes. Here's a couple of pictures, um, the roots, and then some of the fruit that's not ripe and, and when it is ripe. It seems as though Rachel was coming to Leah in humility and with kindness when she asks for some of Reuben's mandrakes. Because she says, please, please, can I have some of the mandrakes? Rachel's probably aware of the medicinal properties of the root uh, and fruit and was willing to try anything to reverse the curse of infertility. She's like, I haven't had any children yet, been married all these years, and uh, still haven't been able to conceive and provide uh, children for my husband. Leah's response to Rachel's request shows the continued tension between the sisters. That's the first part of verse 15 that's our second point this morning is bitter And so look at that with me, but she said to her. This is leah speaking wasn't it enough that you took away my husband Will you uh, take my son's mandrakes, too? So you kind of you can kind of sense the tension there can't you the bitterness that's going on there leah lashes out by Accusing rachel of taking away her husband. It's not that leah uh, has lost jacob as her husband But she realizes that jacob's affections are focused primarily on rachel There seems to be a sense in the text that Jacob's not fulfilling his husbandly duty of sexual intimacy with Leah at this point. And it's not certain whether Jacob stopped being intimate with Leah because she stopped having children or that Leah stopped having children because Jacob had stopped being intimate with her. We just know that after the first four children, she had stopped having children. So Leah wants to know if Rachel is going to take away her son's mandrakes like she took away her husband. So if Leah is dealing with infertility, she's hoping that her son's mandrakes will somehow magically restore her fertility. And if Rachel takes her son's mandrakes, what will that leave for her? If Leah is dealing with bitterness about being loved less, then she doesn't want her sister to stop being infertile, right? She's like, "Are you going to steal my husband? Are you steal my mandra- My son's mandrakes? Like you stole my husband?" She's just bitter there because she's like, "I don't want you to be- become fertile all of a sudden." I kind of have the upper hand here. I've got four kids, uh, six total with the, the ones that were adopted. But she's like, I don't want you to become fertile because then, uh, you know, you'll have Jacob's love and his children. What do I be left with? And so she's uh, just feeling a little bit bitter at this point. And so that kind of leads us to our first principle today, the turmoil is the result of not depending on the Lord. We see this tension between these sisters because they're not trusting God. They're trusting human schemes. They're trusting all these other things, and they're not trusting God to take care of what's going on in their lives. The turmoil that we see between Leah and Rachel was the result of not having what they want and not depending on the Lord to provide it. As was mentioned several weeks ago, Leah wanted wanted the affection of Jacob, and Rachel wanted children from Jacob. They wanted different things, but they weren't satisfied with where they were in their lot in life. They weren't content. Uh, Rachel wasn't content just to have Jacob's love. Leah wasn't content just to have his children. And the same is true for us. And that turmoil is a result of, not, of us not depending on the Lord. <clears throat> when we try to use superstition to accomplish something in our lives, it inevitably, inevitably results in turmoil. When we try to do anything without depending on the Lord for his wisdom, guidance, and help, chaos can ensue because we will probably approach the situation from a human perspective instead of a godly perspective. And so I just want you to think this morning of a time when you tried to resolve an issue without first consulting and depending on the Lord for help. Now, I may be different from all the rest of you, but when I've tried to resolve an issue or conflict without praying about it first, I usually... Do or say the wrong thing or act in a way that creates turmoil instead of peace and reconciliation I've learned that over the years. I'm like I have to stop first (coughs) I can't Maybe in my frustration or anger uh, or defensiveness. I can't answer at that point. I have to step back and wait And I need to stop and pray and then I need to go to that person to respond to how they uh, you know spoke to me or things that they had said to me. I'm like, no, I have to step back. I have to pray about that, because if I do it in my humanness, I'm gonna fail almost every time. And so (coughs) my humanness always gets in the way and I fail. My assumption is that the same thing happens with all of you as well. So are you currently dealing with a family situation that's volatile? Perhaps there's a situation at work that's causing you frustration. Maybe there's relationships at school that are difficult and chaotic. And remember to turn to the Lord first and depend on him for his help, guidance, and wisdom. Maybe that's a step that you need to take today with that situation that you're currently dealing with. And that's the first one on the back of your communication card today. It's depend on the Lord for his wisdom, guidance, and help with a current tumultuous situation. We have to go to him first. We have to turn to him. We have to depend on him because otherwise uh, turmoil is just going to break out. Chaos. So both women wanted the mandrakes for their quote-unquote magical properties and helping to deal with infertility. And this takes us just back to our big idea that faith in God supersedes everything, including superstition, including mandrakes or magical fruit, love apples, whatever it is. God is it, 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 Faith in him just supersedes all of that. The third thing we see today in verses uh, second half of verse 15 and 16 is the bargain that Rachel and Leah strike. (coughs) And this is what God's word says. Very well, Rachel said, he can sleep with you tonight and return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. And so we see this bargain that takes place. Rachel offers a night of intimacy with Jacob to Leah in exchange for her son's man, Drakes, um, young blood is quoted in multiple commentaries as saying, apparently Rachel, as Jacob's favorite wife, had the questionable privilege of deciding which of Jacob's wives or concubines would sleep with him on any given night. She kind of was like the matriarch, I guess, as the second wife and the most loved by Jacob. She kind of took on that role and uh, was kind of uh, orchestrating, um, you know, uh, what happens with Jacob. The Hebrew word for sleep that Rachel uses seems to support the idea that somehow uh, she controls Jacob's sexual activities. And Golden Gay in, in her commentary says, like the English expression sleep with, the Hebrew word shakav as a euphemism for having sex applies to irregular sexual lia- liaisons rather than regular relations between husbands and wives. And so Rachel's use of this verb is neatly snide. She's like, yeah, I'll give you one chance. Like, that's kind of what she's saying to her. I know that you don't get to be with him on a regular basis because I'm the one that kind of controls all that. But yeah, I'll offer you this bone tonight, right? In exchange for your son's mandrakes. And so the tension here is just thick. We see Leah's desperation. She goes out to meet Jacob when he returns from the fields. There seems to be an urgency, a desperation to be the first to greet Jacob. We're not told why Leah goes out to meet Jacob, but we can only speculate that perhaps she didn't trust Rachel to follow through with the deal that they just struck. She thought, Rachel's going to just she's going to stab me in the back on this thing. So I'm going to go out and meet him on the way back to explain to him the deal. And so maybe it had been a while since she'd been intimate with Jacob, and she wanted to make sure that it happened. And we know that she was desperate to be loved by Jacob the same way that Jacob loved Rachel. When she meets Jacob, she informs him of the deal that's been struck. She has hired Jacob for the night with her son's mandrakes. I don't know how he felt about that. Well, I mean, I guess I do know how he felt about it. He's like, okay, whatever. Because it says he just he sleeps with her I, I Jacob doesn't object again. <clears throat> Scripture says he slept with Leah that night. Hamilton says first he was hired by Laban. If you remember that, like Laban says, oh, I need to pay some wages instead of just you know you being a part of our family. So he was like hired. He, he hired uh, Jacob, and now he is hired by a woman who has already borne him four children. He raises no questions about Leah's arrangement with Rachel. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but. I'm finding myself wanting Jacob to stand up and be the spiritual leader of his household, right? Like, what what are you doing, Jacob? <laughs> you know, eventually your name's going to be used. Like, this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right? You, you're gonna, your name's going to be used that way. I know you don't know that right now, but like, stand up, bro. Like, d- do something better than what you're doing. Like, you just took two additional wives because your wives said to you, hey, just take our maidservants. And he didn't object to that. And here again, he's being hired, and he doesn't object to it. I'm like, oh, Jacob, please, please be that spiritual leader that you need to be in your household. I want him to be fair and equitable with his wives. I want him to try to, to meet their needs a little bit. And yet I realize that Jacob is human and fallible and struggles with the same things that men struggle with today. We are no different, guys. A lot of times, we'll just not be the spiritual leaders that we need to be. We'll just kind of step back, and when our wives say, you should do this, you should do that, yeah, I should, okay. And we don't object to it, right? Even if it's something that's ungodly or not biblical. <clears throat> and we need to stand up, and we need to be the spiritual leaders that God's called us to be. Men, I want to challenge you to be fair and equitable with your wife and to try to meet her needs. And it should be a little bit easier for us because... We have one wife and not four, right? Come on, guys. Where are you at this morning? Are you guys awake? Like, we have one wife. We should be able to be fair and equitable with her, and we should be able to meet her needs. It, it shouldn't be that hard. Our love and our affection is not split between four women. This is One. And so Leah should have been seeking the Lord through prayer about her desperation to be loved by Jacob instead of bargaining with Rachel to be able to spend time alone with him. And we need to do the same thing. The same is true for us. In our desperation, we should be seeking the Lord through prayer instead of bargaining with others. He knows what is best for us. He knows the best time for us to receive what he desires for us. And that just takes us back to this big idea that faith in God supersedes everything, including bargaining to get something that we want. And what we see here, and we're going to see what the results is, Rachel's going to be disappointed with the outcome of the bargain between her and Leah. That leads us to principle number two today, that manipulation and bargaining do not always provide favorable results. (laughs) Rachel does not immediately become pregnant after obtaining the mandrakes and probably using them. We're going to see next week when talking about this that it's like, I think it's between three to seven years from the time this narrative takes place that that Rachel conceives. So, like, these magical fruit and root didn't work for her, right? Because that's not what it was about. And we're going to see also that Leah is going to conceive three more times and provide Jacob with two additional sons and a daughter. We're going to see that today. Perhaps you've experienced this truth in your own life. You bargained for something only to realize that the other person received far more benefit from the bargain than you did, right? And you're like, why did I even do that? That was a waste of time. I gave up this, and I didn't get any, really anything in return. How did it make you feel? It doesn't make you feel good. Have you made bargains with God that you felt did not work out the way you had hoped? Did that affect how you viewed God and felt about him? Just recently, I was in a group where one of the people was sharing about their experience with terminally ill individuals as their hospice chaplain, or hospital chaplain. Two, inter- two interesting things they experienced that shocked me. When they went to talk with individuals who had claimed to be atheists, they admitted that there was a God, and they wanted to know more about him. Their illness drove them to the Lord. That's fascinating, isn't it? I thought that was fascinating. I'm like, this drove them to the Lord... Now, it shouldn't surprise us because Scripture tells us that God has placed in the heart of every human being to know who, that he exists and who he is. And so th- that shouldn't surprise us. They come to the end of life, and they're like, yeah, there is a God, <laughs> and uh, I'd like Him to help me right now, right? The other surprising thing was that when they talked with individuals who had claimed the name of Christ for most of their lives, they questioned God about why he was allowing this terminal illness to happen to them, especially since they had served him all their lives. Their terminal illness had them angry with God, questioning God and and who he is and what he's doing. See, the Christians had some kind of bargain with God that sounded maybe something like this. If I follow you, God, then I can trust that You will not allow anything hard to come into my life. And as long as I'm following you, life's going to be a breeze, right? It's going to be easy. And unfortunately, there are those out there that preach that kind of gospel, and it's not the true gospel. God and Jesus have never promised that in Scripture. They've never promised that when you believe in Jesus that you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, that you're not going to have hardship. In fact, We are to expect hatred by the world and persecution, potentially illness or hardship that God allows to remain in our lives to keep us humble. The Apostle Paul asked three times that the thorn in his flesh would be removed, and this was the Lord's response to him. After he asked three times, the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Faith in God supersedes everything, including bargaining, including you know illness including persecution so are you currently angry with god because the bargain you made with him didn't work out the way you had wanted was the bargain you made with with god according to the promises and truths found in his word the bible if they were not then god cannot and will not go against those promises in his own word he won't break his own word I want to encourage you to confess those feelings of anger and hurt to the Lord today and that's the second next step And it's just to confess my feelings of anger and hurt to the Lord Are you contemplating making a bargain with God about something you want are you saying to him? Hey If you'll just help me with this illness with this financial difficulty with this relational uh, Strife that i'm going through right now. I will go to church every sunday for a month or two months, or six months, or whatever bargain you're are you contemplating making with God. If you do this for me, God, then I'll do this. Three things that I want you to think about if you're in that, if you're if you're in that right now. First, is it according to the promises, truths found in God's word? The thing that you're wanting? Second, does it show faith in God that supersedes everything else? And third, are you Willing to trust in God's grace to be sufficient for you and for his power to be made perfect in your weakness if his answer is no to the thing that you want. I want to be healed. I want this financial burden to be gone. I want this relationship to be healed. What if God says not right now? Wait. We still need to trust that his power is made perfect in our weakness and that his grace is sufficient for us. Maybe that's the third next step you need to take today and that's to trust God by faith that his grace is sufficient for me even in my weakness. So Rachel's bargaining and manipulating seemed to backfire on her. She wasn't trusting in the sufficiency of God in his timing. In the remaining verses, we see that Leah begins having children again. Her barrenness or infertility is gone Look at those verses, starting with verse 17 to 21. God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my maidservant to my husband, so she named him Issachar. I don't know if that's really what God was doing there. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons, so she named him Zebulun. Sometime later, she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. So we're up to the point of babies. God listened. Now, these words should be noted and not glossed over too quickly. Now, we're not told if Leah gave Rachel all of the mandrakes or kept some for herself. The mandrakes did not affect Leah's fertility at all here. It was God who determined when Leah would begin having children again and not some magical fruit or root. It was God. God listened. That tells us that she was probably crying out to him. Principle three is this. God is ultimately in control of everything. He's in control of when Leah would conceive again. He, is in con- he was in control of when Rachel would conceive for the first time. God's in control of the circumstances of our lives, and he knows when certain things will happen for us according to his purposes. God's in control, and Scripture backs that up. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 tells us this. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Who's in control there? God. Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Who's in control? God. First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 and 12. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Who's in control? God. Job chapter 42, verse 2. Job says this, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Who's in control? God. Psalm chapter 135, verses 5 to 7. I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth and in the seas and and all their depths. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. Who's in control? God. And there's a whole bunch more. I just didn't write them down. God's in control of everything. And this is an important principle and truth that we must understand as followers of Jesus Christ. God is in control of everything, and we need to have faith in that fact. That takes us back to our big idea that faith in God supersedes everything. Leah recognizes that God is in control. As we see, she begins to name her children again. She recognizes God. Leah conceives and gives birth to this fifth son. She believes that God has rewarded her for giving Zilpah to Z- Jacob as his fourth wife. And so Issachar's name can mean my wage or he rewards. little play on words there. Like, I hired you, and this is, my, this is what I got, my wages. Leah conceives again and gives birth to a, her sixth son. She considers him a precious gift from God and hopes that Jacob will now treat her with honor. Zebulun's name can mean either honor, dwelling, or endowment. And then we don't know the time frame of when Dinah was born. It was just after Issachar and Zebulun. She's probably mentioned here because of the role that she plays in Genesis chapter 34. It's not a good story, not a positive story, but it's one that she's highlighted in. Her name means judgment. And so as we just review today, I want to just remind you of the things that we've talked about and see where are you at today. Do you need to depend on the Lord for a tumultuous situation in your life? Do you need to confess your feelings of anger and hurt toward God? Do you need to trust God by faith that his grace is sufficient for you? Do you need to embrace the truth that God is in control of everything? Where are you at today? What's God working on your heart and mind concerning As a body of believers, we can depend on the Lord for any situation that we may be experiencing within the body. We can trust God by faith that his grace is sufficient for us as a body. We can acknowledge that God is in control of everything here at U.B. Church. Aren't you glad? I know I am. Because faith in God supersedes everything. We do not need to trust in wives' tales, folk wisdom, or superstitions about anything in our lives. And Stevie Wonder brings that out. In this, his song, Superstition, <clears throat> let me read the, the lyrics to you. It says, very superstitious, writings on the wall, very superstitious, ladders about to fall. So he's talking about things that, it, that people talk about, you know, like going walking underneath of a ladder. It's not uh, 13-month-old baby. 13 is, you know, Friday the 13th, the number. Broke the looking glass. He's talking about a mirror. Seven years of bad luck to good things in your past. When you believe in things that you don't understand, then you suffer. Superstition ain't the way. He's like, this isn't it. Very superstitious. Wash your face and hands. Rid me of the problem. Do all that you can. Keep me in a daydream. Keep me going strong. You don't want to save me. Sad is the soul. When you believe in things that you don't understand, then you suffer. Superstition ain't the way. Very superstitious. Nothing more to say. Very superstitious. The devil's on his way. 13 month old baby Broke the looking glass Seven years of bad luck good things in your past When you believe in things that you don't understand Then you suffer Superstition ain't the way No, no, no Do you think he gets it? He's like oh You guys believe in all of these things That are superstitious And um But God (laughs) I don't know if he was a believer or not (laughs) But we As followers of Christ we are right we understand that God's in control of everything. And faith in God supersedes everything. And I hope that you're encouraged by that today and and uh, and trusting in that fact. And so, as the worship team comes, would Jesus bow your heads with me as we just uh, commit this to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you today. We thank you that we can have faith in you and that that supersedes anything else, Lord God. It supersedes bargaining, supersedes... Uh, uh, turmoil and relationships, Lord God, tension that, that we see there supersedes uh, wives' tales and, and folk wisdom, <clears throat> we thank you that you are in control of everything and that we can trust you completely. Lord, today I pray that you just be honored and glorified through what you're doing in the lives of your people. I pray that we would not leave here um, unchanged, but we would be transformed by the power of your word, Lord. And so we just commit it to you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.